Senior Sunday, I thought I'd show you one of my senior pictures, and so here we go. Oh boy, <laughs> look at how tough that kid thinks he is. Uh, you see, your pictures are funny, aren't they? When you take them, you're like, I'm cool, and then 25 years later, you're like, not as cool as I once thought that I was. Uh, hey, graduating seniors like you, that young man had so many hopes and so many desires for his life. So many dreams, and every person who's been in your guys' shoes has. But unfortunately for many, their story, many people's story is filled with regret more than fulfilled dreams, and that doesn't have to be the case for your story. Uh, so for you, more than anybody, I just encourage you to lean into what we're talking about today as we land this plane on this five-week series in which we've been talking about something that we expect from everyone else, something we hold everyone else accountable to, but something that we're quick to make excuses for when there's a lack of it in our own life, and that something is integrity. And there's many ways to define integrity, but you know, to make it short and portable, the definition we've used throughout this series is integrity is doing what you ought to even when it cost you. Integrity is a resolve, the courage to do the right thing you know you ought to. The right thing God would have you do, even when it costs you to do so, just because it's the right thing to do. And throughout the last few weeks, we've discovered that my integrity, your integrity, is a really big deal. Not just for you, but for everyone around you, because as integrity goes, so goes everything. And the anchor verse for this series that I've encouraged you to memorize is Proverbs 11.3. And here, here it is one, one final time. The integrity of the upright. And remember, the, the, the upright are those who stand up straight, who take the long view, who look up and look out. The integrity of the upright guides them. In other words, people of integrity maintain their integrity because integrity is their guide. It's their north star. It's their decision-making filter. They make the decision to do the right thing they know they ought to regardless if it costs them. The integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful, the, the crooked, the, those who live, you remember that we talked about it like this, are destroyed by their duplicity. And they're destroyed because they make decisions based on immediate over important. Now, over later. Want to instead of ought to. As your integrity goes, so goes your reputation, your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, your future. So goes the respect people have for you. And as we talked about specifically last week, so goes your ability to experience the fullness of God's presence in your life. But your integrity or, or lack of integrity is never isolated to just you. It impacts everyone around you as well. And not only that, as your integrity goes, so goes the health and strength of your relationships at home, at work, at school, on your team, with your spouse, your coworkers, your kids, your parents, your friends, each other. Your integrity and my integrity is a really big deal. Because, of a lack, because a lack of integrity will eventually destroy you and the people around you. But if you're guided by integrity, if integrity is your decision-making filter, you and those closest around you and your relationships will benefit greatly. 
Integrity is the resolve and the courage to do the right thing you know you ought to. The right thing God would have you do, especially when it costs you. If you missed any of the weeks of this series, I would encourage you to go back and watch those. And the reason I'm encouraging you to go back and watch is because as your integrity goes, so goes everything. To wrap up this series, we're going to pick up the story of Daniel where we left off last week. But first, I want to ask you a question. Here's the question. What's most important to you? Now, if we went around the room and, you know, and had everyone answer, there would be many different answers to that question, obviously. But I'm assuming we'd hear some commonalities. For married people, we'd probably hear the health of my marriage is most important. For parents, you probably hear you know, a lot of parents' relationship with my kids is most important. From single people, we may hear finding the right person to marry is what's most important. And for business owners, we probably hear like having a successful business is what's most important. To the sole breadwinners, you we probably hear taking care of my family financially is what's most important. To college students, you probably hear getting my degree is what's most important. And for those who are followers of Christ, for those who have, of us who have put our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, most of us would probably say, my faith is most important. Now, it's one thing to say that something is important, but how do we know if it really is important to us? And as we're going to discover today, our integrity or lack of integrity will reveal what's important to us. And not only that, we're also going to discover that as our integrity goes, so goes the quality and the health of what's truly most important. Now, this message that is, is really applicable for every single person, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey or your faith journey. So, listen, even if you don't believe what's written in the Bible is true, you can still apply what we're talking about today. And I think you should simply because it will make your life better. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, for those of us who say, I have put my faith in Jesus, I've asked him to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. For those who say that your faith is important, for those of you who want to grow in your faith, for those of you who want to experience what only God can and wants to do when we take next steps to, to a faith to follow Jesus, it is vitally important that we pay attention to what is being talked about today. Now, if you missed last week, the story of Daniel is found in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Very creative, I know it. And as a quick recap, in about 605 B.C., so about 600 years or so before the events of Jesus' life, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonian Empire, who at that point in time in human history was the world-dominating empire, invaded Jerusalem, or southern, you know, which was the capital city in southern Israel, or Ju referred to as Judah back then. Nebuchadnezzar's army invades Jerusalem, breaks down the city walls, destroys homes, burns down the Israelite temple and slaughters thousands. And then he takes, he took the best, the brightest, the most educated, the most talented, the most, those with the most potential back to Babylon as his captives, as his slaves, as his souvenirs, what he would make them citizens of Babylon. And then the best of the best of these teenage Israelite hostages were given the opportunity of a lifetime. They were brought into the palace to serve in the palace. And one of those boys was Daniel who was 14 or 15 years old at that point in time. Now, 
If you were one of these few boys who ended up in that select group, you probably have felt like you have won the lottery. Because no longer did you have to work in the salt mines or be on the front lines of the battlefield or work in construction for no money. You got to live in luxury in the palace. And every day you got to eat the same food the king ate, drink the same wine the king drank, which means it was top shelf food and top shelf wine. Now, last week we explained why not, why not eating the king's food or drinking the king's wine was a big deal to Daniel in terms of his integrity and the law of his God, Yahweh. We talked about that Daniel knew the right thing he ought to do. So, so last week we saw Daniel made up his mind ahead of time. Daniel predecided he would do the right thing he knew he ought to if and when the opportunity not to presented itself. Daniel predecided that he would do what God would, ha would have him do. He predecided that he would be guided by integrity even if it cost him. Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story of Daniel would play out and how the story of Daniel would end. Daniel made up his mind ahead of time knowing very well it may limit his time. And that's integrity. But D Daniel's integrity didn't stop there. This first decision to maintain his integrity as a teenager set the pattern for the rest of his life. From that point forward, Daniel's integrity was tested over and over and over again. And through it all, Daniel maintained his integrity. Daniel never compromised his integrity even when it cost him. Daniel was guided by integrity. But his hardest test and his most famous test didn't happen until 55 years later. By this time, Daniel about, is about 70 years old. Nebuchadnezzar is dead, and the Persians, who the, who the guy named Darius is the king over, has overthrown the Babylonians, and the Persian Empire is now the dominating world power. And now that the Persian Empire has expanded, King Darius decided to do a reorg of his empire. And he appointed 120 governors to report to three administrators who ultimately reported to him. Daniel was one of those three administrators, and Darius liked Daniel. And he was so impressed by Daniel that he gave him, he gave Daniel actually authority over the other two administrators. So essentially, Daniel was second in charge in the Persian Empire. And that didn't sit well with the other governors and administrators because Daniel wasn't even from there. I mean, Daniel was an outsider. For all intents and purposes, Daniel was an Israelite slave. So these guys are jealous of him. They wanted him to get him removed. And that's where the story picks up steam. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. I mean, you got to remember, at this point in time, Daniel had been in government for 55 years. And these guys are thinking, surely we can find some dirt on him somewhere that we can bring before King Darius and ruin his reputation and hopefully get him removed. But... They were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trust, trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And that is integrity. That's something we all want to aspire to, isn't it? Because wouldn't you love for people to describe you like that? I guarantee the people around you would like to be able to describe you like that. Daniel was that type of person at 70 because he made up his mind as a teenager to be guided by integrity. Well, after not being able to find dirt on Daniel, the administrators and the governors decided to change tactics and set up a trap for Daniel. So these administrators and satraps went uh, as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever, 
The royal administrators, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the, and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any human being during the next 30 days except to you, my majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And so you see what they're doing here. Like they appeal to King Darius's ego. Oh, King Darius, live forever. We want to sponsor 30 days of Darius. And it's going to be fabulous. We're going to have floats and balloons and King Darius bobbleheads. And we love King Darius t-shirts. And we want to reaffirm your authority as the king of kings. So for the next 30 days, everyone has to, we think everyone should have to hit pause on praying to anyone and any of their gods and just worship and pray to you alone. And anyone who violates that edict, we think should be fed to the lions. Now, they didn't present this opportunity to King Darius because they really cared about everyone worshiping him. They did this for one reason. They did this to try to take Daniel out. And they knew Daniel well because he was so predictable. They knew there was no way Daniel was going to pray to King Darius. They knew Daniel would remain faithful to worshiping his God no matter what. I mean, Daniel had proved for 55 years he would do the right thing he knew he ought to, the right thing he believed that God would have him do, regardless of what it cost him. So they capitalized on his integrity. And then they go, oh, oh, yeah, King Darius, one other small thing. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. See, these, these administrators and governors also knew that King Darius liked and trusted Daniel. They knew that after Daniel disobeyed these orders, that King Darius would want to repeal the edict. So they said, King Darius, you should put this in writing. You should make this irreversible and absolutely enforceable. So King Darius, who I'm sure was super flattered by this point, put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room. And we're going to stop right there for me to ask you a question. What would you do then? It's one thing to do the right thing when we think it might cost us. But what do you do when you are certain that doing the right thing will cost you? When you're certain it will cost you your job, that position, a relationship, your comfort, money, security. For Daniel, it was written down. There was no mystery. He knew, he knew with certainty what would happen to him if he did the right thing he knew he ought to. If he, if he did the right thing he knew God would have him do. But what would you do? What do you do when you are certain that doing the right thing will cost you? And here's the answer. What we do when we're certain doing the right thing will cost us depends on what's truly most important to us. So let me ask you again. What's most important to you? And I know that many of us would say being a person of integrity is important. Many of us would say my faith is most important. But it's in these moments of being certain that doing the right thing is going to cost us that we learn something about ourselves we can't learn in any other way. We learn in these moments what's truly most important to us. It's in these moments that these moments we discover if our integrity and if our faith 
is what's most important or if our integrity and our faith are just a means to an end. And if our integrity and our faith doesn't help take us to the end or to the outcome we want professionally, relationally, sexually, financially, well then, that's the end of it. And, for being honest, that's been the case for some of us, hasn't it? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, not one time, not standing there looking like he's doing something else, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before every day for the last 55 years. And as we saw with Daniel last week that we see here again, he didn't pretend, he didn't hide. That would have been what he ought not to do because that would have been a lack of integrity. Instead, he opened the window for everyone to see and he did the right thing he knew that God would have him do, knowing for certain what it would cost him. And here's why Daniel did that. Because Daniel believed that God alone determines outcomes. Daniel believed that his God, Yahweh alone, determined the outcome of his life. Not the king, not the empire, not those administrators or those government, governors. So th this edict didn't change anything for Daniel. Daniel had already made up his mind. Daniel had already predecided to be guided by integrity. That his faith was what was most important to him. So he did the right thing he knew that God would have him do. And he placed himself, remember this from last week, in God's hands and trusted God with whatever the outcome was going to be, even if the outcome wasn't good for him. Here's the question for you and for me. Who or what do you believe ultimately determines outcomes? Is it your boss? Your parents? The government? Luck? Universe? Cancer? Your college degree? Money in the bank? You, do you ultimately determine outcomes? Or does God? It's in these moments of being certain that doing the right thing we know we ought to, the right thing that God would have us do, that is going to cost us, that we discover who and what we trust for outcomes. We discover if our faith is truly what's most important or if our faith is just a good luck charm to us. Here's what happened next. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. They're just waiting to catch Daniel. They know they're going to catch Daniel. They finally caught Daniel. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. In accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. He said, guys, you know what I did. You were there. It was your idea. What's the point? Well, we stopped by Daniel's house to drop off his 30 days of Darius swag bag. And <laughs> then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. And King Darius, this is hard for us to say to you, but 
He pays no attention to you, your majesty, or the decree that you put in writing. And this breaks our heart to tell you, King Darius, but he still prays three times a day and not to you. And we're so disappointed. Fellas, we're disappointed, aren't we? But we just thought you should know. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed because he liked and he trusted Daniel so much. And he knew he had just signed his death warrant. So he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. It breaks our heart to remind you of this, but there's no loopholes to the decrees and edicts that you sign. You can't determine the outcome here. Sorry, king. King Darius knew he stuck. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And before they lowered him to that rat-infested floor covered in human remains, the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, which, by the way, Daniel, is why you're in all this trouble, rescue you. In other words, I can't save you. But maybe the God, the, the, the God that you're more dedicated to than your own preservation can. And Daniel, I hope he does. A stone was brought in placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed, so that all hope for Daniel was removed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. King Darius is laying in bed thinking, 30 days of Darius, this was such a stupid idea. I just killed the person that I trusted the most. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. He'd seen the aftermath of this before. He knew Daniel's fate was certain, but he was just holding on to a sliver of hope that maybe he was still alive. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continuously, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, if you've ever heard this passage of scripture preached before or taught before, the person who preached it or taught it probably just rushed to the next part of the story. But if we rush to the end of this story, we miss the entire point of this story. Because the point of the story is not what happened next. The point of the story is what has already happened. The point is, what was most important to Daniel was not the outcome of his decision. If the outcome was what was most important to Daniel, I'm assuming he would have made a different decision. What was most important to Daniel was doing the right thing he knew he ought to. The right thing God would have him do no matter what it cost him. What was most important to Daniel was remaining faithful to his God, to Yahweh, no matter what the outcome was. Which means, if this story had ended right here, Daniel won. If we never found out what happened next in this story, Daniel still won. Because the point isn't what happened next. The point of this story is what has already happened. Daniel obeyed God. Daniel trusted God. Daniel maintained his integrity. That's what was most important to Daniel. That was the win. What was most important to Daniel was not the outcome of his decision, however good or bad that may be. Because he knew he couldn't control outcomes. 
Daniel knew he couldn't control outcomes. What was most important to Daniel was doing what was the right thing that God would have him do and trusting God with the outcomes, however good or bad any of those outcomes may be. And here's what you need to know. God hadn't guaranteed any outcomes for Daniel. God had not promised or guaranteed any outcomes for Daniel. And he doesn't for you either. And he doesn't for me either. Someone's ever said, hey, there's nothing but good outcomes for you and prosperity for you and amazing things for you with a bow tied around it because of your faith in Jesus. That's not true. If you lost faith because someone said, hey, if you just trust God more, if you pray to God more, everything's going to work out for you fantastic and your marriage fantastic and financially fantastic and your family fantastic. They lied to you. That is not the good news of Jesus. That is a false gospel. They are telling you something that you want to hear, probably that benefits themselves. So let me ask you again. What is most important to you? Is it a desired outcome at home or work, in your marriage, with your kids, occupationally, financially, in that relationship, with your dreams? Or is it doing the right thing you know you ought to, the right thing God would have you do, and remaining faithful to the God that you say you trust? Your answer to that question will determine if you're guided by integrity today or not. And let me tell you something about all your desired outcomes that Daniel already knew. Everything we gain by sacrificing our integrity can or will be taken away. Let me say that again because that's a pretty important point. Everything we gain by sacrificing our integrity can or will be taken away. It is a lose-lose. You lose your integrity, and eventually you lose what you gained when you gave up your integrity. Daniel won before he knew the outcome. Because what was most important wasn't the outcome. It was doing the right thing he knew his heavenly father wanted him to do. Daniel knew what we often forget. That you can't control outcomes. You can't control outcomes. You can only control what you do today. So when we start sacrificing our integrity to try to get a desired outcome, we have stepped out of, we have stepped out of our realm and into God's realm. And somehow we put ourselves in God's place thinking that we're the ones who determine outcomes. We have, at that point, closed ourselves off to God Instead of placing ourselves in God's hands, and then we whine and complain why we don't experience God. So let me ask you again. What's most important to you? Now, none of us know what it looked like when Daniel was in that lion's den, but here's one, one artist, the depiction of what one artist came up with that I really like. I really like this artist's depiction. And the reason I like this picture is because of what Daniel isn't looking at in it. You notice what he isn't looking at? He isn't looking at the lions. 
He isn't looking at the potentially devastating outcome. Instead, he's looking up at his God, trusting him with whatever the outcome that's standing behind him may be. Here's the big idea I hope you take away from the day. That people who are guided by integrity do the right thing they know they ought to. And they trust God with the outcomes. Whatever the outcomes may be. However good or bad those outcomes may be for them. Doing the right thing we know we ought to. Doing the right thing God would have us do. When we know for certain it's going to cost us. Is what's truly most important. And here's how I know that you believe that's What's most important? Because that's the world that you want to live in. That's the type of person that you want to hire. That's the type of person that you want your son or daughter to marry. That's the type of person we want to have as teachers in our kids' schools. That's the type of person we want to have as president of this country and governor and mayor and police chief. We want to live in a world where people will do the right thing they know they ought to when they are for certain that it will cost them. But here's the question for you and me, especially for those of us who say we're followers of Christ. Why don't we step into this arena ourselves? I mean, shouldn't it start with us? If not us, then who? People who are guided by integrity do the right thing they know they ought to and they trust God with the outcomes. That's what's most important, or at least should be. Back to Daniel's story. When he, King Darius, came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? And I'd like to believe, I don't know that this happened, but I'd like to believe Daniel just paused for some dramatic effect. <laughs> Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And by the way, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. Then the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the dead, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because he trusted in God with the outcomes. Because he had placed his life in God's hands. Now, I'd encourage you to go read the rest of Daniel 6 because what happens next, there's some really interesting irony in it as well as some moments that can only be described as we saw Daniel describing last week as now God moments. But here's the question I think you and I have to wrestle with and I want to ask you. Will God do this for you? Will God close the mouths of lions for you? When you do the right thing you know you ought to, the right thing God would have you do? Will God intervene? And will God rescue you? Well, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter? If your integrity and your faith is simply a means to a happily ever after ending, that's not integrity. And that's not faith. That's something else entirely. Here real quick, I just want to talk specifically to those of you who say you're followers of Christ. Those who have said, I've put my faith in Jesus. I've asked him to be the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life. I'm talking specifically for you. If that doesn't describe you, you can tune me out right now. It's 
if the outcome is more important to us than doing the right thing we know we ought to, that God would have us do, we're not following Jesus. You know what we're doing? We're using him. We're not following him. We're using him. Judas was a user. He sacrificed his integrity for 30 pieces of silver. And he lost his integrity. He lost the silver. And in the end, he lost hope. So he eventually took his life. It was a lose, lose, lose. Jesus' invitation for you and me is follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Following Jesus means we stop bargaining with God. It means we place ourselves and our lives in God's hands. It means doing the right thing we know we ought to, the right thing he's inviting us to do, and trusting him with the outcomes, even if the outcomes don't look good for us. That's integrity. That's what's, that's what's most important to Jesus, the one whom we say we follow. And here's Jesus', here's Jesus promise. Follow me. Follow me, follow me, and what you gain is worth way more, far more than any outcome you think that you want. What, what you gain you can, ne can never be taken away from you because what you experience when you follow me is my presence in your life. And that's worth whatever it may cost you. People who are guided by integrity do the right thing they know they ought to, and they trust God with the outcomes. I have a couple of really, really good friends who are amazing, loving, awesome parents. And, man, they have tried to do everything right in raising their three kids. They raise their kids in a Christ-centered home filled with love. They love their kids so much. And that's Christ and just filled with love. And they dream that their kids as adults would, you know, have a relationship with Jesus. And their kids would have a relationship with, them, with each other. And their kids would have a great relationship with them. But any of us who have, you know, kids who are older know, know that there are no guarantees when we raise our kids. Well, over the last five years, my good friends have experienced enormous amounts of what could only be described as heartache. Because one of their sons has completely turned their back on and abandoned them and the entire family and caused destruction in their whole family and has just told his parents how much he hates them, how much he wants nothing to do with them, how they don't love him. And throughout all of these five years, he has made enormously destructive choices in his whole life that has just ruined his life, and he's blamed his parents for every single one of those choices. If there was ever a modern-day prodigal son story, this was it. And our friends have prayed for five years, every day for five years, and many of us who are close to him have prayed along with him, for five years have prayed and have prayed and have prayed and have prayed and have prayed with absolutely zero change. And things have just gotten worse every single day. Well, a couple months ago, my buddy, the dad, called me and he said, dude, I was praying for my son. He goes, and this, I feel like God impressed a phrase on my mind. I don't know what to do with. And he said, the phrase that came to my mind was, go get your son. Go get your son. He goes, I don't even know what that means. Like, how can I go get my son? It's not even possible. My son will not talk to me, won't pick up the phone, like, just will cuss me out. Any, like, he, I don't even know how it's possible. Like, what do I do with that? And I'm like, 
I'm tell your wife? I was like, I don't know. Like, you, you guys should talk about that, you know? So he goes, okay. So he goes and tells his wife. And guys, I am not exaggerating this story, and I am not making this up. I'm not embellishing this at all to make a good sermon illustration. This is 100% true. The night, he's telling his wife, hey, I was praying for our son, and it felt like God said, go get him. And as he's telling his wife for the very first time, his phone rings, and it's his son on the phone. He's looked down, he's like, she's like, pick it up. So he picks it up, he's like, hell, and his son then goes on and says, basically like his life has fallen apart. And he has no money, he's getting kicked out of his apartment, all this crazy stuff. And then he says, hey, I know what the last five years have been, but can I come home for a month and just stay there for a month while I get back on my feet? And my friend was like, um, I got to talk to your mom about that. And they got the phone, they talk, and more talk, they did not want him to come back home. They did not want that because they know the destruction that he brings. And they know the outcome of probably what this is going to look like in a month from now. And it wasn't going to be good. So instead of calling him back, they called me and they said, we need some guidance. <laughs> Great friends. Thanks. Like I, like, I know what to do. And they're talking. I'm just praying the whole time. Like, God, give me something to say to them because I don't know. You know, and then two thoughts came to my mind. And here's the first thought. The first thought was, hey, guys, what will you regret less, do you think? Will you regret less in the future, like trying and it going bad? Or will you regret less not trying and wondering what might have happened? Like, you got to answer that question. What do you think you might regret less? And I said the, sec the second thing that came to my mind was the phrase that my buddy said that God put on his heart was that phrase, go get your son. And I said, you said... I said, hey, bro, you said that God put that phrase on your heart like a month ago. Go get your son. And all the time we're praying for signs to like, God, was that you? I don't know that there's a clearer one, dude. He like called you. His phone name came up on your phone. I said, bro, you know the right thing to do. And I know you're nervous. You don't want to get hurt anymore. But I think you just got to trust God with all those outcomes. So they invited him back into their home. With no guarantees. There's no guarantees. And he's currently there right now. Will it all work out? They don't know. And that's not what's most important to them. What's most important for them isn't the outcome. They have desires, but that's not what's most important. If it was, they wouldn't have made this decision. What's most important to them is doing the right thing they know God would have them do today and then trusting him with whatever those outcomes may be. That's integrity. People who are guided by integrity do the right thing they know they ought to and trust God with the outcome. So let me ask you again, what's most important to you? Let, let me ask the same question in a different way. What's more important to you, a desired outcome or doing the right thing you know you ought to today? Being a person who's guided by integrity starts with being honest with ourselves and answering this question. Then it requires making up our minds ahead of time to do the right thing we know we ought to, that God would have us do, and trusting him with the outcome. So, answer this question. Be honest with yourself. Then make up your mind right now to be guided by integrity even when you're certain that doing so is going to cost you. Because that's how you follow Jesus. That's how you place yourself in God's hands. That's how you experience the presence of God in your life. And that's what's most important. One final time. The integrity 
of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So for everyone, but especially you graduating seniors, remember, as your integrity goes, so goes everything. Dear Lord, I pray we choose to follow you, Jesus, that that's what's most important, <laughs> that we don't say that our faith is most important and following you is and our integrity is, and then something else becomes that. Lord, I pray we just follow you, leave the consequences to you, trust you with the consequences. And Lord, I pray you do a transforming work in us and through us because of that. Lord, I pray that we become people who are guided by integrity. In Jesus' name, amen.